The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. At a previous church uh, where I ser- served uh, before Ambassador, we saw a man come to Christ uh, named Michael. Uh, Michael, at the time when he got saved, was at an all-time low in his life, drug addictions, you know, was just spiraling out of control, uh, and his life was just unraveling with it. His wife had left him, uh, took the children with him, partly just due to, you know, her own physical safety, but in other regards, partly just for her own sanity. Uh, his finances, his credit were just kind of entirely shot. And then Michael got saved, and everything in his life just totally began to change. And God transformed his life literally from the inside out. You know, he was faithful to the Lord, eager to grow. In fact, in time and after a lot of counseling, God even restored his marriage and was pulling his family back together. And they were growing together, soaking in the word of the Lord, coming to every church service. They're tithing, serving, uh, teaching their children the things of God. However, there was a, a surprising twist to Mike's transformation. And that is while everything was going on, uh, and everything was going on in Mike's life really, really made his parents incredibly upset. And, uh, and not just like a little bit angry, but like extremely angry. They were angry with Mike. They were angry with the church. They were angry with Christianity. And, and they expressed their displeasure in no uncertain terms. The whole situation was somewhat confusing. I mean, while Mike was pouring money down the drain through drugs, abusing his wife, ruining his life, his, his parents were there kind of loving and, and supporting him. But when his life was getting back on track, his marriage was being restored, you know, when his life was kind of coming back together, they literally thought he had lost his mind. And, and their reasons were really surface when it came to all these things. He, he was in church too much. They didn't think he should be giving money to missionaries, so on and so forth. But none of it really made any sense. And, and sometimes it actually seemed like they would prefer he was living his old lifestyle again. Now, I realize that's somewhat of an extreme example, and that always doesn't take place when people come to faith in Christ, but his parents' response kind of remind me of the truth that not every spiritual victory is celebrated by everyone, and that's exactly what we see in Nehemiah chapter number six. Man, God is working in some tremendous ways. The wall is getting built. Some spiritual victories are taking place, and yet there are some people in this in this um, passage that get really upset with what's happening at this place and time, which brings us to our theme this morning, and that is simply this. Whenever you are fulfilling your life's purpose, there will be opposition. When God calls you to something and you lean into God's calling, whether it be building a marriage that would honor God, whether it be raising kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, uh, whether it be serving the Lord at your workplace in a way uh, that would honor Him with integrity. The reality is, anytime you seek to live in a way that would honor God, anytime you seek to fulfill your life's mission, there will be opposition. And so this morning, we're going to look at several ways in which the enemy attempts to oppose what God wants to do 
through our lives. And we're going to see it right here from our text. So let's begin reading, if you would. Notice the beginning of the middle of verse number one. The Bible says here, he, it says, I had builded the wall, Nehemiah says, and there was no breach, there was no gap left therein, all right? Which leads us to our first insight from this passage this morning. And that is simply this, the progress in the work. The progress in the work. It's an awesome thing when we begin to see real progress in fulfilling our life's purpose, is it not? Man, God begins to lay on your heart a direction that he wants you to go. You begin to get stirred up about it. You get excited about it. You take that step of faith. And all of a sudden, it just seems like things begin to come together. It's a wonderful, exciting thing when you begin to see progress in that area that you're believing God wants you to grow in. And it really is a wonderful thing. And I want to encourage you in that. Galatians chapter number 6 verse 9 says, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. The reality is it's tough sometimes to make progress in the area that God is calling us to. And this passage, among many others, would encourage us not to grow weary in that because why, why are we challenged not to grow weary? Because God understands that hardships will come, there will be obstacles, opposition will come to pass. One, one person said it this way, and you've maybe heard it before, smooth seas never made a, does anybody know the rest? A skilled sailor. The way a sailor becomes skilled at what he does is by learning to navigate tumultuous storms. It is much the same way in the life of a believer. One of the ways we grow, one of the ways we learn to become perseverant is as we go through difficult, difficult times. So we see in verse number one the progress in the work. But I want you to notice here as we continue reading, we'll start at the beginning of verse one. It says, when it came to pass when Samballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arabian uh, and the, notice this, the rest of of our enemies. So Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, these were his enemies and the rest of them. Uh, the rest of his enemies said this. It says in verse number two, they came saying, let us meet together in some of the villages in the plain of Ono, but they thought to do me mischief. So we see his enemies were going to do mischief in his life, which leads us here to our second insight from Nehemiah chapter number six, and that is this, the opposition to the work, the opposition to the work. There will always be opposition when progress is being made, when we are fulfilling God's purposes, when we're taking steps of faith to lean into where he is drawing us to go, there will be opposition. And, and, and may I remind you of this, that the opposition doesn't always fight fair, all right? Um, I remember when I was in high school, I've shared the stories before, but uh, I was fairly short. At 16 years old, I was 4 feet 9 inches tall. I, I wasn't uh, uh, too tall, but I, I really did enjoy, I love sports, and I was pretty fast. So uh, one year I signed up to play on a flag football team. I thought that might play in a little bit better, you know, to what I did. I think I went this week to my yearbook and I pulled out a picture of a, uh, of a, flag, of a flag football. I'm there right in the center. That is me right 
right before I turned 18 years old, all right? And you can see all my friends are like towering. Uh, I mean, all the guys in the back are younger than I am. And uh, there I am, front row. Uh, some of you would recognize some of the others. My brother Caleb is in there. Uh, Kaylin, I think, is in that picture and some others. But uh, I played on this flag football team. And uh, I honestly, you know, how many of you had this? You think back to when you were in high school and you thought, man, I was a pretty, I was a pretty cool guy, you know? And so I was flipping through my yearbook and then I came across this next picture right here and I realized maybe maybe I wasn't as uh, as cool as I thought I was you know that's that's whoever put the yearbook together that's how they saw me all right and so they made sure I got in here uh, with that but I had these shorts and they were they were adult shorts but obviously I was still wearing children's you can't really tell but in the picture these are just regular basketball shorts they go down to my knees and I still already have them rolled up around my waist just to keep them up that's how small I was at the time and so on one particular occasion we're playing uh we're playing a, a game against a, another team, and uh, there was this, I was a wide receiver at the time, and I'd done a short little kind of three yard and in, and I caught the football, and there were two defenders right around me, and uh, I caught the ball, and I had a long ways to go to the end zone. We were just getting started, probably 80 yards or something there to go as we're making our way down the field. I caught the ball, the one defender came up around me, he went to go for my flags, and when he did, he tripped and like fell down and in like desperation he reaches out and he literally grabs my shorts and just yanks them down and I'm standing there running I'm like what in the world just happened well now I've got this other defender coming after me and this all happened like in a split second I had to make the choice do I stand here pull up my shorts but the other guy's going to come and grab my flags or do I just start running like the wind you know (laughs) So I made the choice, I'm just going to start running. And so there I was, all of my glory, you know, running down the football field, my shorts dangling around my ankles, you know, flags kind of waving the wind, everybody's just, ah, you know, with their eyes closed, like what in the world is taking place? And sure enough, I will, glad to report to you, I did get a touchdown off of that with my shorts dangling around my ankles. You say, why do you, why do you share that? I share that to simply say the reality is that the opposition doesn't always play fair. And as Christians in those moments where the opposition maybe doesn't play fair, I want to encourage you with this thought, man, look to God, look to the goal, look to where God has placed you and just keep moving. And sometimes there are going to be a thousand reasons on why to stop. The world will give you a thousand reasons on why to quit. The world will give you a thousand reasons why to throw in the towel and wave the white flag. But I want to encourage you with this reality. While there will be opposition as you make progress, I want to encourage you to experience the grace to just move forward. And that's definitely what we see in Nehemiah's situation. I want you to notice from verses number 2 down to verses number 16, you're going to see four tactics that the enemy uses to try to oppose Nehemiah. All right, So we're just going to start reading through it. Uh, Verse number uh, 2 says this, uh, Sanballat the Geshem sent unto me saying, Come, let us meet together in some Uh, in some one of the villages in the plain of Ono. Notice this. But they thought to do me mischief. 
It goes on to say in verse 4, Yet they sent unto me four times after the sword, and I answered them after the same manner. So basically on uh, four different occasions, the opposition was saying, Hey, let's go to the Valley of Ono. Let's just kind of talk. Let's just kind of hang out. And uh, Ono, the Valley of Ono, would be about 30 miles northwest of Jerusalem. I think we might have a picture of it uh, here somewhere. And so it wouldn't have been as arid as where they were in Jerusalem. It would have been much more... The weather would have been a little bit nicer in this part of the area. And so almost to a degree, Nehemiah could have been thinking in the back of his mind, man, it might be nice to get a little bit of rest, you know, go to a more of a resort kind of better weather area and just kind of enjoy, you know, some uh, R&R, one might say. Uh, But that's not what he does. You see here the enemy is really trying to distract them. And we see that in verse number four when it says in verse number three, and he says, I sent messengers unto them saying, I am doing a great great work, verse 3, so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and come down to you? We know that the enemy is trying to oppose because it says they did this to, to cause him mischief or to do him harm. And they're trying to distract him. They're trying to move him away from the wall that he was leading and he was building and they were trying to distract him. And I will say this, probably the number one tactic that the enemy uses in the day and age in which we live to get us off course is simple distraction. That is, they weren't trying to get Nehemiah to do something terribly wrong or terribly horrible. They just simply wanted to distract him. And I'm going to say to you, as you are trying to follow God's plan for your life, as you're trying to lean into what God is calling you to do, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your uh, life, in your career, as you lean into what God is calling you to do, mark it down that one of the tactics the enemy will use against you is he will try to distract you. And I see this many, many, many times. Not trying to get you to do something horrible, not trying to get you to do something sinful, just simply trying to distract you from what God desires for you to do. We live in a day and age where there are thousands of distractions, tons of things that we can get distracted by, not bad things. Not sinful things, things that will simply keep us from the best things. And so I ask you, what are those things in your personal life? What are those things that you allow in your family, not bad things, but do cause you, that, that, that distract you from the best things, from the most important things? We all have to come to a place where we make decisions and say, I'm willing to put aside good things so that I have margin in my life for the best things. And here, notice what Nehemiah says in verse 3. He says, I'm doing a great work. I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not coming down from the wall. I'm not going to take... I mean, in this day and age, to travel 30 miles would have taken a long time. This was not like a 20-minute drive. This would have been several days in order for him to do this. And yet Nehemiah recognized, I'm not going to allow things to, to distract me. What is it? that the enemy uses to to try to distract you from the best things? What does the enemy use to try to distract you from a personal walk with God? What's the enemy use to distract you from church? To distract you from investing into your kids? 
from leaning in to your work in, the way, in a way that would really honor the Lord. What are the things? It's all different for each of us. And because they are not usually sinful things, because they are not wrong things, it's very easy for us to justify them. How does the enemy attempt to distract you? That's the first tactic. But what, did, what happened? <laughs> I love it. Verse number three. He says, he says, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down. Why, why should the word cease while I leave and come down to it? And you know what Nehemiah does? He just keeps building. He just stays focused on what God had called him to do. Notice the next distraction, verse number five. Then, okay, that didn't work. What happens now? Then sent Samballot, his servant, unto me in like manner the fifth time, notice this, with an open letter in his hand. So an open letter was not a letter that was specifically for Nehemiah. Uh, Sam Ballot wanted this letter to go to the whole city of Jerusalem. He wanted everybody to read this particular letter. And he says, in it was written, it is reported among the heathen. He just uses this vague kind of, you know, it's, it's been reported. He doesn't give any sources. He doesn't say who said it. He just said, it's, it's kind of been reported, you know, what's been reported uh, among the heathen that Gashemu said it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel. He's saying, you guys are going to rebel from King Ahasuerus. Uh, uh, Notice verse number uh, six, that thou and the Jews think to rebel for which cause thou buildest the wall that you may be their king according to these words. And so basically, uh, they accuse Nehemiah of starting a rebellion. And they're saying, Nehemiah, the only reason you're building this wall is because you want to be the king. You want to rebel from the nation. You want to build your own little kingdom. And so they send this open letter and really try to slander Nehemiah, and this is the second tactic that often gets used, you know, when it comes to uh, keeping people from doing the work, is the enemy will come along and seek to slander you. They were seeking to discredit him. They were gossiping about him. Probably the closest thing we have to what was happening here is when somebody writes on Facebook or gossips about somebody on Facebook. It's kind of in an open forum, and anybody who wants to can kind of see it. That's kind of what's going on here, all right? And so we see Sam Ballot. He just puts out this open letter. He just slams Nehemiah in front of everybody, slanders him. And uh, according to the, the context, verse number 9, they're really trying to frighten him. Verse 9, for they all made us afraid, saying their hand shall be weakened from the work that it be not done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. And so Nehemiah says, hey, they're trying to scare us. They're trying to cause us to become anxious. They're trying to, you know, get us to where we'll stop this work. And so Nehemiah just simply prays in verse 9, God, strengthen our hands. Help me not to quit. I'm looking to you. I realize there's a lot of voices out there that's trying to distract me, that's trying to slander, that's trying to gossip, that's trying to pull me down. And he says, I'm just, I just want to keep my focus fixed on you to, to live in a way that would honor you. So when they try to slander, what do we see in verse 9? Nehemiah just says, I'm just going to keep building. I'm going to keep moving forward. When the opposition hits, I'm just going to keep moving forward. But that doesn't stop there. Now in verse number 10, when that didn't work, notice what? Afterwards, what happened now? I came unto the house of Shemaiah, who was shut up, and he said, let us meet together in the house of God. 
within the temple. And let us shut the doors of the temple, for they will come to slay thee. Yea, in the night will they come to slay thee. And so this man comes to Nehemiah and says, we've got to hide out in the temple. They're coming to kill you. Oh, Nehemiah's like, what's, what's going on? You know? And uh, now the issue is, if you understand kind of ancient customs, Nehemiah would have no, had no right to be in the temple at this time. It wasn't his place to be there. Notice what it says here in the next verse, 11. And I said, Nehemiah said, should such a man as I flee? And who is there that being as I am would go into the temple to save his life? Notice this, I will not go in. Nehemiah said, I'm not going to do what you're telling me to do. Verse 12, I perceived, Nehemiah perceived that God had not sent who him, Shemaiah, but that he had pronounced this prophecy against me for Tobiah and Sambalat, Nehemiah's enemies, notice this, had hired him. Therefore was he hired that I should be afraid and do so, that is, go to the temple and sin, and that they might have matter for an evil report, that they might reproach me. So you see what happened here? Sambalat and Tobiah, the enemies of Nehemiah, had paid off this guy. They gave him some money and said, hey, try to get Nehemiah to go into the temple. They understood if Nehemiah went into the temple, that would be an, an unethical thing for him to do. And then what his enemies could do is say, you follow this leader, he's totally unethical. He, he's totally doing things that are wrong. How, do, how could you follow him? And so now we see a third tactic now used by the enemy when it came here to Nehemiah, and that was to simply tempt him. Third tactic was temptation. You see, when the enemy tries to distract you and it doesn't work, you just stay focused. You're not going to be distracted by little lesser things around you. You just keep moving forward. You're going to keep living for the Lord. You keep attending church. You keep serving the Lord. You keep ministering to your kids. You just keep doing what God is calling you to do and distract Distraction just doesn't work. You're not getting distracted. He's going to try to slander you. He'll try to find people who gossip about you, kind of put you down, make you feel anxious, and these types of things. And the reality is when that doesn't work, then there's going to be temptation. That is the temptation to simply get you to do something that will bring a reproach upon you. And so this is a third tactic that the enemy often uses to get people to stop what their uh, God's calling them to do, to detour them, to get them off track, to get them to do something that might hurt their reputation, temptation. It doesn't stop there. Notice verse 17, moreover in those days, the nobles of Judah, remember we heard, we've heard about, a lot about these nobles and it seems like every time they come up, they're up to no good. But it says the nobles of Judah sent many letters unto Tobiah and the letters of Tobiah came unto them. Notice, what did these nobles report? Verse 19, they reported Tobiah's good deeds before Nehemiah and uttered my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to put me in fear. So what these nobles then did, this, this was going on the entire time, all 52 days as the walls were being built. Basically, the nobles would go to Nehemiah and say, hey, that Tobiah, this guy that you think is your enemy, he's not really your enemy. He's a good guy. Man, he's great. He's wonderful. He's awesome. You should get behind him. And the whole time, they're trying to, these nobles are trying to make him look really, really good. In essence, all right, as you see, if you, if you begin to read verse number 17, in those days, the nobles, uh, verse 18, uh, there were many in Judah sworn unto him because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah. Okay, so basically what had happened is these nobles had married into the families of the enemy. Now there were political ties, and so these nobles felt, you know, compulsion to kind of talk Tobiah up, even though he was the 
enemy of, of uh, Jerusalem, even though he was trying to exploit Jerusalem. He just kind of, uh, they, they were talking him up. And so basically what's happening is here is the enemy is trying to deceive. They're trying to deceive Nehemiah, which is the fourth tactic that the enemy often uses, and that is to simply get you to believe a lie. If distraction doesn't work, you stay focused even with all these other distractions. If slander won't work, if temptation won't work, then eventually they try to get you to believe a lie. Ah, you're not who God says you are. Has God said? And whatever the lie, there are, there are a thousand lies that the enemies will attempt to get us to believe. Lies about who we really are lies about what's going on around us. It's one of the tactics that the enemy will often use to try to keep us from the mission that God's called us to. And that is why it is so vital to allow the absolute truth of God's word to be the driving force of reality in our experience. And so we see, whether it be distraction, whether it be slander, whether it be temptation, whether it be deception, the reality is the opposition is constantly trying to go against us. But I want to remind you of what Romans chapter 8 verse 31 says. It says this, if God be for us, who can be against us? In the midst of our slander, I want to remind you God's for you. In the midst of deception, God is for you. In the midst when the enemy is trying to tempt you, God is for you. I think we have this on the screens, but the truth that God is for us means we must evaluate all opposition and difficulties in light of God's grace. That is, when something difficult comes that tries to distract or tries to tempt or tries to slander or whatever the case may be, you have to view that because God is for you. You have to view it in light of God's grace. You have to recognize that within the sovereignty and providence of God, he allowed that slander, that person who's bashing you on Facebook, is father-filtered. That difficulty that you're going through did not happen without God's awareness. And you have to learn to view it in light of God's grace. Sometimes his grace is uncomfortable, and sometimes his grace doesn't make sense. But you have to trust that God is provident, and he is sovereign in the midst of it all. That he is ultimately in control. As we're going to see in the case of Nehemiah, oftentimes the best way out of difficulty is always through. So don't quit. You say, I just want out of this. It's so overbearing. It's so hard. Oftentimes the way out is through it. You say, my marriage is so difficult. Sometimes the best way out is just to keep moving through it. Man, things at work are so, oh, I can't stand them. Sometimes the best way out is to just keep moving through it and allow the grace of God to do something in and through the situation that you could have never done on your own. So we see in verses number one and two the progress in the work. In the remainder verses, we see the opposition to the work. Notice verse number 15. So the wall was finished in the 20 and 5th day of the month of Elu, that would correspond to our September, in 50 and 2 days. So it took 52 days for this wall to be built, which leads us to our final insight from this passage. Not only do we see the progress in the work in verse, uh, chapter 6, not only do we see the opposition to the work in chapter 6, but we're going to see the completion of the work in chapter uh, 6, verse number 15. Now, let me remind you, Hebrews 12, verse 3 says this, For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners. Why do we need to consider Christ? Why do we need to consider him? Lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. 
God says in Hebrews chapter number 12, the way we're going to learn to persevere, the way we learn to move forward is by staying focused on God. And that's exactly what happens in the life of Nehemiah. He considers God through prayer twice in this passage. You're going to see in verse number 9 and verse number 14 where Nehemiah turns his attention and his focus back to God in the midst of all of this opposition, in the midst of all of these attacks. He says here in verse number 9, Oh God, strengthen my hands. He gets, his, he gets his mind fixed on Christ. Then in verse number 14, he says, My God, think thou upon Tobiah and Sembalat according to these their works. And on the prophetesses, Nodea and the rest of the prophets, that they would put me in fear. So here's, here's what Nehemiah prays in verse number 14. He basically turns his enemies over to God. And you might be in a situation as you're trying to lean into what God is calling you to do, and you're trying to lean in by faith to what God wants you to do. You're going to have people who oppose it. I know as I've had opportunities here, there have been people who have opposed it. Sometimes they oppose it viciously and on purpose, and sometimes it's inadvertently. Sometimes maybe it's innocently or whatever the case may be. But the reality is anytime we seek to move forward by faith, doing what God is calling us to do, there's going to be opposition. There is no way around it. Every pastor experiences opposition. Every godly dad will experience opposition. Every godly mother is going to experience opposition. All those that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be obstacles. There are going to be difficulties. And here's what the scriptures say. Hey, get your focus on God during those times. Focus on him. And that's what Nehemiah does on two different occasions. He gets his focus on God. And we see that his relationship was strengthened by it. In verse number 15, they finish the work. I want to just remind you of this as we close. The best way to answer a critic is with a job well done. You've got critics in your life. You've got people who don't like the way you're doing something. And if you're following the word of God and the spirit of God's leading you to do that, man, be kind, be gracious, be humble, be loving. Just keep moving forward. Just take another step in front of the other. God, get God's grace, give him a strength, just, and keep moving forward. That's what we see here in the life of Nehemiah, and they finish the work. The same strength, the same grace that God gave to Nehemiah to overcome opposition is the same strength and grace that God offers to you. Same grace, same God that Nehemiah went to is the same God you can go to in those difficult seasons of your life. The same grace made available to Nehemiah is made available to you. So whenever you're fulfilling the purpose in life, as our theme at the beginning of the service was, there will be opposition. Mark it down. It will come. But the reality is this. You are closest to victory when you face the greatest opposition. And sometimes when it seems like life is the hardest and it's the most difficult, it's often in those places that you are closer to victory than you've ever been before. So what do we learn in this passage is this. When the going gets tough, what do the tough do? The tough go to God. That's what they do. They get their eyes off the slander, off the distractions, off the frustrations, off the lies, off the temptations. They fix their focus, their mind on Christ. They experience and enjoy the riches that is theirs in Christ. Like Nehemiah, they get their focus off those things. They get their focus on the, on the main things. 
and then they, by God's grace, just keep moving forward. And this is what we see in the life of Nehemiah, and this is what God desires to do in and through our lives as we keep our hearts fixed on Him. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.